This is Here After, and I'm your host, Megan Devine. Each week, we tackle your big questions about life and love and loss, basically all the messy parts of being human. We're currently on break between seasons, so this week, it's a re-release of my favorite episode so far, The Love-Filled World. Now, this show came out on Valentine's Day originally, and you will hear me reference said made-up holiday in the show itself. But seriously, the message in this show should not be stuck on the shelf just for use in one lousy month of the year. It's really meant for year-round listening. So, how do we get the love-filled world we all want? The one where there's enough love and support for your stuff and for everybody else's too? Find out in this week's show. Coming up right after this first break. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get started, one quick note. While I hope you find a lot of useful information in our time here together, this show is not a substitute for skilled support with a licensed mental health provider or for professional supervision related to your work. Hey friends, it is time for February's Made Up Holiday, 
Whether you celebrate Valentine's Day or not, all that gushy pink love imagery is pretty inescapable. Now, disclosure for me, bit of a weirdo, but February 14th is a children's holiday. My mom loved any excuse to give us little presents, and Valentine's Day was no exception. I associate it with childhood. Bulk packs of cartoon Valentine's Day cards, cupcakes for class, that sort of thing. I can totally see, like, those mid-80s cartoon Valentine's school packs. Anyway, dating myself, as I always do. As with most commercial holidays, I honestly wouldn't notice Valentine's Day as a grown-up if it weren't for social media and advertising and my Netflix queue. But here we are. It's February 14th. I do know what day it is. It's a day assigned to love. And since we've already got this date assigned as something special, I would personally like to claim February 14th not for romance, but for all love. Just capitalize on that love element. A day to claim love wherever and whenever it can be found. I mean, if we've got a day dedicated to love already, let's make it a real sacred occasion. One that helps create the love-filled world we all want. That is a tall order, so how are we going to do that? I have given it some thought, and I have a plan. Now, grief is part of love, so of course we are going to talk about grief today. No surprises there. I can make anything about grief, everybody. We're also going to talk a little bit about navigating clinical concerns as they relate to love, and we're going to throw in a little bit of social justice here, too, because what is justice but love in action? Ta-da! We have got an episode suitable for February 14th, and we won't even need conversation hearts to do it. Although, I really like conversation hearts, especially the purple ones. Do not at me. The purple ones are delicious. Okay. Listener question number one, everybody, to get us into this big, messy juggernaut of love. So this listener wrote, I work with a lot of clients in the middle of divorces and other separations. I also have a few clients whose partners died, so I get to hear both kinds of loss, death and divorce. Most of my divorcing clients have compared their losses to death at least once. While the widowed people have all complained that way too many people compare death to divorce, and I feel like I have this weird split vision going on. Death isn't the same as divorce, but is it okay that the people facing divorce think they're the same? They, like, talk about them as though they're the same? Should I be saying something about this to any of my clients, or should I just let it be? Okay, I love this question. This is an exceptionally sticky and multi-layered complicated question, and I love questions like that. So comparing losses happens all the time with all kinds of loss. If your partner died, it's pretty much guaranteed that somebody will say, hey, I got divorced. I know exactly how you feel. If you're getting divorced, it is pretty much guaranteed that someone else will have their own divorce story, which, although it is absolutely nothing like your own experience, will cause them to say, I know just how you feel. Comparing and conflating losses is so common. If you're a therapist or a doc or somebody else in a helper role, you've probably fielded a complaint like this. People feeling like their loss gets downgraded in some kind of weird, emotional, competitive one-upmanship. Unsolicited comparisons happen all the time, and they turn ugly really, really fast. So for this listener, they've got clients who are divorcing, comparing their divorces to death, and people who are living through the death of their partner feeling pissed off that people keep comparing their death to divorce. That's probably not the same people, though, 
right? I mean, the, this listener didn't clarify, but I, I feel like comparing divorce and death is so common. I'm assuming this clinician's clients don't all know each other and they're all just like complaining about each other in their individual sessions. That would be weird and probably have some ethical concerns to it. But before we talk about whether this listener should bring this thing up with their clients, we should really talk about comparing losses in general and why that's a bad idea. Now, it might not be immediately clear why this death-divorce thing is a problem. I'm going to give you another example using losses that get compared badly all the time. Animals versus people. So let's say that you learn that a colleague's baby died at 39 weeks with no known cause, and you want to comfort them. You want to let them know it's okay to feel sad, help them feel less alone, all the good, supportive person things. So you say... I know exactly how you feel. My dog died a few years ago and it was awful. Okay. So for the person whose baby just died, they don't hear that comment as supportive. They hear that your dog is just as important as their child. I will tell you that dog-baby comparisons are never going to turn out okay, ever. But if we point that out to the person whose dog died, like we say something like, hey, that's not a comparison that really helps here. It's kind of apples and oranges. The person who's grieving the loss of their dog gets defensive, like, wait a minute, you're saying that the loss of my dog isn't as important as their baby and my dog was my family. How dare you say my loss wasn't important? Do you see how terrible this gets in like less than a minute? Whenever I describe this, I see that old Bugs Bunny cartoon where like somebody pulls out a gun and the other one pulls out a bigger gun and then a bigger gun and a bigger, like it just gets bad fast. The death of a pet is an undervalued, frequently dismissed, even ridiculed loss. So if we even suggest that maybe it's not so cool to compare the loss of a dog with the loss of a child, we are stepping into battle. And what is that battle over? Compassion. We undervalue grief of all kinds in this culture, which means most people feel like they have to defend their grief. And by grief here, I mean all of it. Everyday stressors, divorces, breakups, death of humans, death of not humans, job loss, illness, injury, all of it. Because we undervalue grief and emotional pain of all kinds, most people feel undersupported just on a regular basis. There's not enough compassion to go around. Compassion is a scarce resource. And what do we do with a scarce resource? We fight over it. We fight over oil. We fight over water. We fight over clean air. And we fight over compassion. Your divorce can't possibly be as bad as my death. The death of your dog isn't as bad as the death of my friend. Your diagnosis isn't as bad as my diagnosis. You think you're having a bad day. Mine is so much worse. We get this almost like how dare you approach to other people's pain. You don't get to be sad about this thing because if we start allocating support to you, there won't be enough support left for me. And I already feel alone in all this. If we have to start talking about your pain, then we have to stop talking about my pain. And I already feel like I'm getting by with scraps from the people I care about. I mean, that kind of sounds bleak, like maybe I'm overreacting here. But if you think about it, if you really think about it, we do actually treat compassion like pie, like a finite resource. You give away too much and you get nothing. 
The stakes are a little bit higher here than they are with your favorite coconut cream pie, but still. It's not just when somebody compares their loss to our loss that we freak out like this. It's a general way of life a lot of the time. We make fun of the way people react to the death of a musician or an actor. We get all huffy when people are stressed out over not fitting into their favorite jeans. When there are people starving in the world, how dare they be upset about something so little? There are important issues and losses to focus on. We can't waste compassion on these things that don't count. We've got so little compassion and tolerance for other people's pain. It's no wonder we fight over who deserves it. Here's the thing. Compassion is an abundant resource. We just don't treat it that way. There's actually plenty of love and compassion to go around if we just stop hoarding it. There's more than enough love and acceptance and compassion for everybody if we treat compassion like the abundant resource it already is. It's not pie. We won't run out. And that means, getting back to our theme of the day here, that we have to start being generous with love. If you want a world where there is enough love and compassion for your losses, for your life, You have to start creating that world by extending love and compassion for all losses. Even the ones you don't understand. Even the ones you don't think are important. Even the ones you don't see as valid. If we're able to offer compassion to everyone without asking them to prove that their pain is good enough or valid, then we start to get the world that we all want, which is a world where there is enough compassion and love and understanding for everybody. If compassion is freely available, no one needs to fight over it. That is the end goal. That is my personal plan for world domination. No one needs to defend their right to exist and to feel because there is no shortage of love and compassion. My goofy example, no one fights over toothpaste, do they? There is toothpaste everywhere. No one fights over it. I want that for compassion and love. Now, I realize I didn't actually answer this listener's question yet. I went on a rant instead, a compassion and resource guarding, love-based rant. So to briefly answer this clinician's question, I don't think you need to bring all of this up in session in order to point out the not-so-cool conflation of losses. However, it is something to keep in mind as a possible line of self-inquiry for your clients. Do your clients facing divorce feel like comparing it to death makes their loss more legitimate somehow? Do your widowed clients feel like these comparisons take away from the already scarce resource of love and support they feel like they have around them? All good questions. Not solutions, but good questions. With the side benefit of some subtle education around the mechanisms underneath these comparisons we make without really thinking about them. That is kind of my job here, to make you look under the surface of things you don't even pay attention to and see what's really driving the emotional relational bus, so to speak. Love is a lot. It is not exactly the simplistic, soft, focus, pink, pastel thing the marketers use this time of year, but love is ferocious. Coming up next, everybody, I will tell you what to do when somebody tries to conflate their loss with yours, since you are now all newly deputized to be less defensive and more inclusive in the service of a more abundantly compassionate world. 
We'll be right back after this break. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, friends. Hopefully you have taken a minute to adjust and settle down if you were personally feeling defensive with all of my talk about grief comparisons and treating compassion as an abundant resource. It's important to remember here that all loss is valid. All personal experience is valid. And no matter what the loss is, everybody gets to have their own loss be the worst loss in the world, because for them, it is. If we're doing this new thing that I've been talking about where we seed compassion in the world, you can let other people's losses be the worst loss in the world for them, 
because it is. Actually, I have another dog-related metaphor that I just thought up in my head. So I have the best dog in the world. My co-producer, Tanya here, also has the best dog in the world. We are not going to fight about who's correct because we are both correct. This is what I'm talking about with all loss being valid. Everybody gets to have their own loss be the worst loss in the world because for them, it is true. We can even extend this whole compassion thing to inclusion and social justice issues. You don't have to understand the experience of systemic racism if you aren't a person of color in order to extend love and compassion to others. If you don't quite get the whole rigmarole around the gender spectrum, you can extend love and compassion to the trans and gender fluid communities, supporting them through the challenges of being alive in different bodies. You see where I'm going with this, everybody? If you hoard compassion, you get a world of scarcity where you are always on the lookout for wasted support, wasted in air quotes. You're always on the lookout for inappropriate uses of compassion just to ensure there's enough left over for you. There will never be enough in that kind of world. You'll always end up insisting that somebody else should be left out. We have to compete like that when there can only be one winner. One winner of the love and support prize. That is a small and ungenerous world to live in, everybody. If you want a beautiful world where compassion is everywhere and you get to have enough for your own needs, where your own compassion cup runneth over, you have to help build that world. You have to treat compassion like the abundant resource it is and share it widely. Broadcast that stuff like frog eggs, like more than enough to ensure the continuation of the species. You don't have to agree with somebody in order to believe in their right to love and care. It sounds pretty woo-woo, but compassion actually is an expandable resource. Practicing inclusion and validation means that people feel heard and heard people hear people. Which means the whole culture starts to change from one of that vindictive, how dare you feel that way, to at worst, I mean worst case scenario, if we start seeding this kind of compassion and love, worst case scenario is we get a world built on neutral, impartial kindness. Best case scenario, being generous like this creates a world built and sustained by love. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm not saying you just need to smile and nod when somebody tells you that their loss is exactly the same as yours. That conflation of personal experience is never helpful, not across types of loss and not even in the same kind of loss. This whole loss comparison, conflation, compassion thing is a frustration point a lot of you share. So if you need a comeback to a grief comparison of any kind, you can always go with something like, I appreciate the gesture, but comparing losses doesn't feel useful to me at this time. Or whatever, sound like you and not like me, but something clear and kind to change the subject or end the conversation. Being compassionate doesn't mean that you still have to participate in unhelpful comparisons or other rude behavior. My point here with this little tangent is that you don't need to conflate compassion with permission for somebody to be shitty. You can start treating compassion like an abundant resource and have stellar boundaries at the same time. Just because you understand where somebody is coming from does not mean you have to go there with them. Advocate for yourself where you need to. Self-love, self-advocacy actually increases the amount of compassion in the world, too, and clear boundaries are an act of love. That's a whole episode for another day. But 
don't conflate compassion with letting somebody just be a jerk. Those two things are are not the same. Show yourself some compassion too. That's part of building that world that we want. So as we start winding down this particular episode on love with all of its messiness and its combat zones and its skirmishes over resources, none of that stuff makes it onto the Hallmark cards. I want to bring in one more love-related concept suitable for Valentine's Day and every day. Looking for love in all the right places. And by right places, I mean all of them. All of the places. One of my teachers has this core practice of asking in any difficulty, is there love available here? He doesn't ask it like an admonishment, like look on the bright side or look for the, like not that stuff, but as an actual true question, is there love available here in this moment? If we're talking about compassion as a force for good in the world, what we're really talking about is love. Is there love available here? In our own losses, in these conflict zones between humans, in the impossible things we face every day, is there love available here? I mean, I say I'm kind of anti-Valentine's Day, but I'm actually very into love. So maybe that makes me a romantic. Honestly, I think love is the only thing big enough to face this world with all of its bullshit and stress and difficulty and beauty. As Carl Sagan said, for small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love. I mean, I make myself cry all the time. How can I not be a romantic sap about love? Truly, I am a romantic and I love quoting cool people so I can keep bringing you quotes and questions on love all day long. Even though I just gave you a new question to help you lean into love wherever you find yourself, that whole is love available here question, I haven't even given you the official questions to carry with you for this week. Stay tuned, everybody. Those love-related questions are coming right up after this break. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Each week, I leave you with some questions to carry with you until we meet again. It's part of this whole, this weird stuff gets easier with practice thing. This week, where is the love? For your homework this week or your practice, if you'd rather not think about it as homework, you're not getting graded, seed some love in the world. Like it doesn't always have to be this grand gesture, this building the whole world we want thing, even though I just talked that up for the last 25 minutes. Like it doesn't have to be the grand gesture. What small actions can you take this week to make the world the kind of loving, inclusive, supportive place you want to live in? If you're stuck, think about what you want for yourself and then go give some of that to the world. Acknowledge somebody's sadness. Acknowledge somebody's recent accomplishments. Hold the door for the person behind you. Catch yourself when you hear someone saying they're upset about something you would normally think is no big deal and replace that judgment with a more compassionate, inclusive thought. I'm sticking that one in there because that's the really hard one to practice. It means you have to pay attention to your sort of unconscious, impulsive judgments. So I'm going to read it to you again because that's the real homework assignment. Catch yourself. When you hear someone saying they're upset about something you would normally think is no big deal and replace that judgment with a more compassionate, inclusive thought. Try treating compassion as the abundant resource it is and see what happens. Be a good scientist. Run the experiment. You can even play with that question my teacher asks. Is there love available here? Give it a go. Let me know how it works. I mean, with everything, everybody, I am in this experiment With you, I am asking myself these same questions and doing these same homework assignments right alongside you. This is part of why I love this show and part of why I love questions. This is also the part of the show where I remind you that I love questions so much I want to hear your questions. 
If you want to submit your question for me to possibly address on the air about love or boundaries or anything at all, remember that this show is nothing without your questions. I mean, it's literally a Q&A show. You can ask me anything you'd like. Let's talk it out. Call us at 323-643-3768 and leave a voicemail. If you missed it, you can find that number in the show notes or visit megandevine.co. If you'd rather send an email, you can do that too, right on the website, megandevine.co. We want to hear from you. This show, this world, needs your questions. Together we can make things better, even when we can't make them right. You know how most people are going to scan through their podcast app looking for the next thing to listen to and they get to the show description for Hereafter and think, I don't want to talk about that stuff? This is where you come in, my friends. Your reviews let people know it really isn't all that bad in here. We talk about heavy stuff, sure, but it's in the service of making things better for everyone, so everyone needs to listen. Spread the word in your workplace, in your social world, on social media, and click through to leave a review. Subscribe to the show download episodes, listen to the back catalog, and send in your questions. Want more here after? Grief education doesn't just belong to end-of-life issues. Life is full of losses, from everyday disappointments to events that clearly divide life into before and after. Learning how to talk about all that, without cliches or platitudes or simplistic think-positive posters or pink fluffy valentine hearts, that's an important skill for everyone. Find trainings, workshops, books, and resources for every human trying to make their way in the world after something goes horribly wrong at megandevine.co. Hereafter with Megan Devine is written and produced by me, Megan Devine. Executive producer is Amy Brown, co-produced by Tonya Juhas and Elizabeth Fazio. Edited by Houston Tilly, with studio support by Chris Uren. Music provided by Wavecrush. I'm getting better at my pacing. Yay, yay, yay. I'm getting better at my pacing. Hold on a little break because my headphones are falling off my head. You'd think that wouldn't happen with a head as big as mine. (laughs) Getting my comic relief in early. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest 
to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 